about seven years ago, I was a park ranger in Colorado. I relished the job, the outdoors, the communion with nature, the respect for animals and plants that it demanded. My duties included patrolling the trails and park maintenance. A high degree of fitness was required, something I had back then. I'd recommend it to any nature enthusiast or social butterfly. However, a car accident, resulting in a severe right knee fracture, forced me to quit. My knee never fully recovered, and I couldn't stand for extended periods, rendering the job unfeasible. Now, here's a story from that time, two years prior to my accident. It was winter, the sun set early, and I found myself working late alone in the park. My task was to clean up the trash left by visitors and clear debris from the trails. That particular night, there was an unusual amount of trash left behind. Time escaped me as I meticulously worked to ensure trail safety. My life was simple at that time, single, childless, with only my dogs awaiting my return home. So, working late wasn't much of an issue. Amid the tranquil park silence, a sudden loud noise like a heavy object dropping jarred me. Thinking it a fallen branch, I ventured towards the source. Nothing lay on the ground. As I pondered this, another similar sound echoed from a different direction. I saw the silhouette of a small person, almost childlike, behind a tree. This was unusual. Nobody was supposed to be there that late. My initial curiosity turned into concern. I called out to them. But in response, they started running. I gave chase, not to chastise, but to ensure they didn't lose themselves in the dangerous woods. However, they vanished from sight. I was taken aback at their speed. Despite being a seasoned runner, I failed to keep up. Reporting the incident to my supervisor, I was instructed to wait for assistance. But another thud sounded behind me, in the opposite direction of our chase. The small figure reappeared behind another tree. It was puzzling how they had circled around me without detection. Despite my calls, they fled again, leaving me disoriented and lost in the woods. In my desperate attempts to contact my supervisor for help, I found my cell service had disappeared. Fear began to take hold. After hours of futile wandering, I decided to rest and wait for dawn. Waking to the sight of a woman and her child walking a trail mere meters from me left me baffled. I had no memory of being anywhere near a trail. For months following this unsettling experience, nightmares haunted me. My colleagues searched for both me and the stranger that night, without success. They surmised that a prankster teenager and my exhaustion had caused the whole ordeal. I knew that wasn't the truth but I couldn't explain what actually transpired that night. Maybe you can make sense of it. My friend and I used to go ghost hunting when we were in middle school. It consisted of me asking questions directed towards spirits and ghosts. This is pre-smartphone days. We also brought a handheld voice recorder that was pretty expensive. It was his dad's who was into music and playing instruments. We brought the recorder because we knew it was more likely we would get an EVP than an interaction we were aware of. EVP electronic voice phenomenon is when you record a noise or voice of a spirit, paranormal entity on your device. 
When you play the recording you hear the EVP, which you did not hear with your own ears, because the frequency was too high. I have had several interactions, but I'll talk about two right now. The first I actually heard, and it was terrifying. It was an especially creepy night at the location we were at which we frequented for these interactions. So creepy as took us 15-20 minutes to walk 20 feet. Other nights we would freely walk around and not be creeped out because we didn't feel like there was another presence. Well this night there was something there, and after I asked a question something in front of me, about 10 feet away swiftly glided towards me while gargling a low og, which got progressively louder and more aggressive as it came towards me. The noise came all the way right up to me before I could start to run away. It moved really fast, but I could see absolutely nothing in front of me. There was no body there. My friend and I bolted and ran all the way home. We listened to the recorder the next morning since we were too afraid to play it that night. And it was exactly like I describe it now. The other experience. This was an evip. We were listening to a recording at his house that we had just recorded. On the recording I was casually talking to him about something when all of a sudden there is a blood-curdling female scream. On the recorder it was way louder than my voice and long and drawn out, as if a woman had just been stabbed or seen some horrific shit. It was the most chilling scream I have ever heard, and I did not hear it at all when I was at that creepy location having the conversation with my friend. On the recording device when the scream happens I am mid-sentence, and I do not pause or react. Neither of us do. I remember that night, and we heard no scream. I've had some other experiences that are just as scary. Seen an actual apparition, seen poltergeist, had my girlfriend physically hit and pushed on more than one occasion. And I've had some other ifs. My story goes back to 1975. My girlfriend and I were driving back to Idaho where I was going to school. We were headed towards Yellowstone Park and the Montana East Gate in a little yellow Volkswagen. It was around midnight and it was kinda snowing and picture a two-lane road with tall trees and no moon or nothing, just our headlights and the snow is falling. All of a sudden there was this figure I saw walking right in the center of the road, walking the same direction as me. In other words, her back was to me. It was a woman. At first I noticed her, and I told my girlfriend, Do you see what I see? A girl walking out here at midnight. It's probably about 30 degrees out. The closer we got, the more detail I could make out. It was so. I was gonna roll down my window and ask if she needed help. But we noticed that she was wearing very very old, I guess 19th century garb, clothing and she had hobnail boots. She had a long shawl and around her shoulders and in her hair, she had long brown hair, down probably a little bit below her shoulder blades. And the closer we got, we noticed something weird. Her hair was completely dry. Not wet, like you would expect for somebody out in snow. I was about to roll down my window and my girlfriend goes, don't even stop. Don't even look. Go. You know, that freaked me out because I was just about ready to slow down. She said, don't even look in the mirror, she has no face. I drove away. You can imagine, here we are putting along in a little Volkswagen, 
and I just slowly moved over to the right to avoid hitting her. As I moved off and later got to the gate, the ranger said sorry, the pass is closed tonight due to the snow. I asked, you mean we gotta go back? He says, well, there's a little motel about a half a mile back. We were scared out of our wits. Anyway, we got to this motel and fortunately the guy still had a room available. And as soon as we got in the room, we just locked the door and put the chair in front of it. The rest of the night we couldn't sleep. Using a throwaway in the off chance, someone I know sees this. To give some parameters, I'm a 20-year-old guy in Tennessee. I've always been into cryptids, supernatural oddities, and basically everything mysterious or unexpected. However, I haven't had the time lately to research too much on which cryptids are which. Basically, a couple years ago, I started seeing weird deer. I couldn't explain why they were odd, they just didn't seem right. One day I ended up seeing a rather large buck that had that aura about him, and I shit you not he looked dead at me, and stood right up on his rear legs. Needless to say I bolted before he could start walking towards me. It continued I ended up catching a couple of these encounters on camera one of a deer levitating, and another of one standing and walking all on my trail cams. Other creepy things started happening like hearing mimicked sounds, and the voice of my brother coming from the woods when he was standing next to me. I thought it was just something weird on this spooky chunk of land I lived on. I moved about an hour away from there a few months back, and nothing too crazy has happened since. That was until tonight when me and my girlfriend were laying in bed. We didn't get to bed until about 2.30am, and around 3.13, we heard a weird noise through the open window above our bed. It's the goddamn mimicking again. Something is out there making very obvious fake dog noises. I almost went out to check and see if they were okay before my groggy ass remembered all the dogs were obviously brought in for bed over an hour ago. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm pretty sure whatever this is has followed me before, and it followed me again maybe. What cryptid or thing has these traits in the middle, upper Tennessee region? Any comments or help would be greatly appreciated. It's 4.30 now and I'm laying in bed reading random books online and Reddit threads trying to learn what this is and how to deal with it. I used to hunt to fit in with the family many years ago. Didn't care for it. Wasn't good at it. Went and did it anyways. One of my first kills was a fawn. It was awful. I didn't mean to shoot a fawn. There was a whole herd of whitetail scattered around a field that we stumbled upon. The bastard donor I was with wasn't into hunting, properly, so we came upon them driving at dusk, and he demanded I hop out of the vehicle and shoot at them from the truck door. I shot at the first brown thing that came into my sights. He was standing half behind a hilltop, and I thought I'd shot at the doe. I was wrong, and let me tell you, there is nothing like watching an entire herd of whitetail scatter, except for one lone doe who stays behind, standing there and calling loudly for her baby. I'll never forget how horrible it was. She didn't leave when we started approaching the fawn either. I got the gut-wrenching experience of watching her baby try to get up and run to her. 
but be entirely unable to because her front end was mangled while she cried out for it more and more frantically. Eventually she ran when we got too close, but she didn't go far. She stayed at the tree line while the bastard donor fired round after round point blank into the fawn's neck, missing each time and putting the animal in more and more distress. He was breaking its back, he said. He didn't. Eventually, it just bled out. I don't know when the doe left. She was gone when the fawn died. I was never able to go out into the fields after that. I'd questioned the family's hunting abilities for years at that point. I'd had concerns about their practices before, but seeing firsthand how ruthless, dangerous, and cruel so-called experienced hunters could be, and being thrown into the situation of being a danger myself, left me terrified of being in the trees fields with someone like that ever again. I'm still a massive supporter of safe, legal hunting, and I completely understand the appeal of it as both a sport and a lifestyle a freezer full of meat saves a lot of money. I'm thrilled when friends score a big hunt. I love seeing records set. But I'm also a huge advocate against any sort of poaching, improper gun use, and immoral hunting. People need to be educated about what they're doing and how. They need to understand the gravity that is killing another living thing. Yes, hunting can be thrilling, beneficial, and a great experience. But it's not like hockey or soccer or any other sport. It's dangerous and deadly. It's grim and disgusting. You either do it right, or you don't do it at all. I don't care how much fun you're having. You're involved in an activity with a lot of responsibilities, and if you can't fulfill that, you have no right to kill another living being. Couple that with how many people have died out where I live due to completely preventable hunting accidents, because so many people are like the bastard donor and worse, and you couldn't pay me enough to go back out there again. Sometimes, life takes you down a path you never intended to tread. That's exactly what happened to me and my mate, all those years ago while bushwalking in New South Wales, Australia. We were just two friends on an adventure, with no idea of the sinister discovery we were about to stumble upon. In the heart of the bush, amidst the eucalyptus and the bird calls, we found a peculiar structure. It was a platform, made entirely out of rocks, carefully arranged in a way that suggested it was intentional, not just a natural formation. It seemed out of place in the wilderness, a discordant note in an otherwise harmonious symphony. We didn't think much of it at the time, simply marking it up as a curious discovery before we continued on our journey. It was only much later that year that the memory of the rock platform took on a dark, foreboding significance. It began with a string of news reports about a series of arrests. Backpackers had been disappearing in the area over a span of few years, their disappearances largely chalked up to the risks of traveling in such isolated locales. That is until a man was arrested on suspicion of their murders. As the case unfolded, it was like a veil being lifted from our eyes. The news ran footage of so-called altars discovered at several of the murder sites, slightly hidden in the dense bushland. The chilling sight of those altars, constructed from rocks, sent a shiver down my spine. They were eerily similar to the platform we had encountered on our bushwalk. Worse yet, 
they were often found no more than 300 yards from the victim's shallow graves. The man at the center of this horrifying tale was Ivan Millet, now known as Australia's worst serial killer. He was convicted for the murders and has since spent his life behind bars. Yet, the thought that we had unknowingly stumbled upon one of his macabre altars was a chilling realization that has never quite left us. Even more unsettling is the fact that the police suspect that Milad didn't act alone. Although they were unable to gather enough evidence to prove it, the belief that there was at least one other person involved in the heinous crimes persists. The idea that this accomplice might still be out there, possibly continuing Milad's horrific legacy, added another layer of unease to our fateful encounter with a rock platform. It was a chilling reminder that sometimes, the most innocent adventures can intersect with the darkest aspects of humanity. That bushwalk in New South Wales was supposed to be a simple outing between friends, but it turned into a haunting memory we'll never forget. I-23 female took my two dogs, a cane corso and a labradoodle, on a walk on a nature trail near my home. My car was the only car parked in the parking lot when I arrived, so no one else was on the trail. The trailhead only has one entrance and the trail has thick forest on either side of it. My dogs and I started walking, and maybe three quarter of a mile and a man on a bike approached me from behind. I moved aside with my dogs to let him pass me, and when he does, my cane corso lunged toward him. I held her back, but that was unusual behavior for her. Around five minutes after the biker passed me, he passed me again going the other way toward the exit, and again my dog lunged at him. I thought it was extremely odd that he decided to turn around so quickly since he couldn't have gone much more than a mile, which seems like an extremely short bike ride. He was dressed in biking gear and had a professional bike. It just seemed like he turned around very quickly after he saw me. I decided to stop and let my dogs rest and I FaceTimed my boyfriend to tell him about my odd encounter. My boyfriend agreed to stay on the phone with me while I walked back because I felt unsafe. Then, my dogs and I turned around and started heading back to my car. About half a mile into our trip back, both of my dogs lunge at something inside the tree line off to the side of the trail. They barked and growled and tugged on their leashes towards the area of the tree line. I did not see anything there, but my dogs definitely sensed something. We moved on and made it to the parking lot, and I saw one other car there with that man's bike hanging on the bike rack on the trunk of the vehicle. Once I got closer to the car I realized no one was inside. I have a bad feeling that man had very bad intentions. I think that he biked back to his car after seeing me, walked to that spot on the trail, and hid in the woods to do who knows what. Then had second thoughts because I was on the phone with my boyfriends, and I had two big dogs with me. It makes me sick thinking about it. I'm open to other explanations if anyone can think of one. I want this just to be an innocent encounter, just a misunderstanding on my part. But it feels sinister, and I feel like my dogs sensed his energy from the start. This situation made me realize that walking alone on a rural trail, even with two big dogs, is not safe for me. Edit. Him using the restroom in the forest is unlikely. There is a bathroom in the parking area. 
When I saw his car parked next to mine, I originally went to bathroom area because I worried he might be in his car or by his car. When I eventually went to my car to leave that's when I realized no one was in his car. Sometimes I'd be blamed for causing problems I didn't know about, but rarely so it wasn't concerning, and I always chalked it up to a misunderstanding. I 18 female, live with my brother and mom so not much goes on, we just coexist and sometimes my brother causes issues, but not usually me. But he's not causing these and they've been happening more. It feels like something's playing a trick on me often. Stuff like my phone pass won't enter for, and then will with the same pass as before. My mom keeps nagging me about putting my muddy shoes away wrong and messing up stuff, and I never do this. I always leave them out to wipe off. I haven't went out in a month, but this happened twice. And today was the weirdest, my mom left and my brother was in his room. I had dinner for one hour and when she came back the counters were all scratched up like someone took a knife and scratched them. My mom said she might have to pay for them renting. I was in my room, and then washed my dishes so I wouldn't have noticed, but she did right away and my brother said he didn't use knives. I only opened a package with one away from them. It's just a mystery, and she blames me because I was the one out, but I was in my room most of the time too. I want to say it's all a misunderstanding, but it keeps happening. It seems like me. It's centered around me, but I'm not doing these things. I don't cause problems especially not after being told not to, and she's brought this up, and seems to believe me because I seem confused, but also thinks I'm just forgetting like something's wrong with me. But nothing is like that, and I'm not forgetting. I have a good memory. I've come to think at times I'm being haunted or messed with, I mean what else am I gonna think at this point? I kinda just want it to stop it's freaking me out. During middle school, I dreaded taking the bus from my dad's house. The bus stop was across the highway and down a secluded dirt road, situated between affluent waterfront houses and a less affluent, swampy area. The setting had an eerie atmosphere particularly in the early morning darkness. One day, as I waited at the bus stop, I sensed that something was off. It felt wrong from the moment I left home. Standing alone, surrounded by dense woods with no houses nearby, I began hearing faint movements in the distance. Something was slowly rustling through the brush, intermittently pausing. Initially, I dismissed my unease as paranoia, trying to rationalize the sounds but my anxiety heightened as the noise persisted and seemed to draw nearer. I felt as though I were being watched, and the unknown presence in the woods seemed to be closing in on me. Growing increasingly fearful, I reassured myself that it was just my imagination running wild. However, the minutes dragged on, and the noises grew closer. The suspense became unbearable. Suddenly, silence descended and a snapped twig shattered the quietness right behind me. I froze, anticipating an animal lunging at me. I dared not turn around, relying on my backpack as a feeble shield. Then, I heard it a distinct, muffled cough. Undoubtedly human. Panic surged through me. 
the realization that someone was hiding in the woods sent shockwaves of terror. The pattern of sounds and their proximity made it evident that this person had been inching closer, while trying to conceal their presence. Innocence was not their intention. Overwhelmed with fear and uncertainty, I contemplated making a dash back to my dad's house, knowing he possessed firearms for protection. However, I hesitated, fearing an ambush if I turned my back. Just as I was on the verge of fleeing, the bus appeared illuminating the area with its headlights. I kept my gaze fixed on the woods until I heard the bus door open behind me. I swiftly boarded, rushing to the back seat. Although it was unlikely that the individual would follow me onto the bus, I was prepared to escape through the emergency exit and seek safety at my dad's house. As the bus transported me to school, I sat in the back corner, replaying the harrowing incident in my mind. I remained silent, unsure if anyone would believe my story and fearful of potential embarrassment. I never used that bus stop again. Years later, I discovered that the surrounding area, including the dirt road, was infested with sex offenders and criminals. It dawned on me that someone had been observing me at that stop, likely with malicious intent. The thought still sends shivers down my spine and I am grateful for the fortuitous timing of the bus's arrival, sparing me from a possible ordeal so close to home. I'll never forget the passing of my aunt around four years ago. It was a natural cause, and she had always been a devout churchgoer. Her two daughters, both in their twenties at the time, were deeply affected by her departure. Coming from a Mexican background, our customs dictate that when someone passes away, we hold a novenario, which involves a series of prayers conducted over a nine-day period. On the ninth day, we bid farewell to our loved one and allow them to rest in peace. On that significant ninth day, my two cousins were lying in bed, still mourning the loss of their mother. According to them, my aunt appeared before them, comforting them and reassuring them not to worry about her. She told them she was going to a better place, and that she was okay. She urged them not to mourn her because their grief was holding her back from moving on. This experience has taught me a valuable lesson. We should allow our loved ones to find peace in their passing, and not cling to their memory in a way that prevents them from transitioning to the afterlife. It's a reminder that we will reunite with them one day, and until then, we should cherish their memories, celebrate their lives, and grant them the tranquility they deserve. Losing someone we love is undoubtedly painful, but understanding that they have embarked on a journey to a better place can bring solace and acceptance. Our beliefs, rituals and traditions provide us with the strength and guidance to navigate the grieving process. And while it may be challenging to let go, we must trust in the natural order of things and allow our loved ones to find eternal peace. So. Let us honor their memory, celebrate their life, and cherish the time we had together. Rest assured one day, we will be reunited, and until then, we can find comfort in knowing that they are watching over us from a place of serenity. When I first saw the Shadow Men, it would have been about eight years old. My family of five had just moved to a three-bedroom house around the time when my youngest brother was eight months old, 
I should mention that this house was in a well-populated neighborhood, not in the countryside. This house had a large basement that was split long ways into two sides. One side had a laundry room in the far back, a bathroom, a round mirror right outside of the bathroom on the opposing wall, and what we called the toy room right next to the stairs. The other side was the family den. The stairs to the basement separated these two sections. I hadn't been in that house for more than a week when I had first seen it. I was in the basement getting something, either a toy or a book, I don't recall. It was around late afternoon. The light was streaming in from the egress windows. At first, I thought it was my father, but I quickly realized that this figure was not only a head taller than he was but thinner too. It also didn't have a reflection. If I had to give an estimate now I'd say it stood maybe six and a half feet tall. It wasn't thin like some depictions I've seen. The one I saw that day had the typical fleshed out proportions of a man. At this point, only a few seconds had passed. I just stood there staring at it. I had a pit in my stomach, and I knew even though I couldn't see its eyes, it saw me too. I cannot emphasize this enough. This wasn't a human. I was alone in that basement. The light coming from the windows didn't seem to cast any shadows onto it. There's no face, no clothes, and no indication of a three-dimensional form. The thing almost looked like it was a hole cut from the fabric of reality itself. The sense of dread and fear that filled me was something and I'd only experienced while facing these creatures. I can't explain it, but something deep down told me that it was male. Something also told me that was evil. It said nothing. It just stood there. I took a step back and suddenly it charged at me taking incredibly long strides. The way it moved made it contort. The legs especially looked like they were getting longer. It reached out to me. The hand was as big as my face. It was only three feet away from me. It moved at incredible speed. I started to scream and I ran up the stairs. I ran out of the basement so fast that I actually fell when I reached the main hallway. I told my parents. My father was skeptical and obviously looked, but found nothing. My mother said nothing about it. A few days after the encounter, in the evening hours, my sister and I saw one sitting on the sectional couch in our living room, while we were walking to the kitchen for a snack. It was sitting where my mother would sit in the corner of the sectional. His legs were long. The minute it noticed us my younger sister saw it and screamed. It left the couch in one human-like motion and ran through the wall. My mother was in the kitchen and my father was at work. That very night I saw one at my baby brother's nursery window pressing his face on the glass. I knew this one wasn't a person either. My neighbor's backyard porch light was on so this one, much like the first, was completely black like a shadow. My dad went outside with the flashlight. My neighbor joined in the search because they thought it was a pervert trying to spy on us kids. Nothing was found, no footprints at the window, no one fleeing the scene, and no prints on the glass pane. During the next three years, my sister and I would mention these continued sightings to our parents. Each time I was told it was nonsense and to stop terrorizing my siblings with ghost stories and lies. My younger sister mentioned her own sightings that I had never witnessed. I don't know the details. 
My mother eventually caved and admitted that she saw them too, primarily in the basement. She begged my sister and me to stop talking about them so my brother wouldn't be frightened. She even took us downstairs to pray over the space so that they'd maybe leave. Well, right around the time my brother learned to talk, he mentioned playing with the dude. The dude would play with him often, apparently when no one else would. He described it as a tall dark figure, but this one is apparently neutral toward him. He mentioned him for years until he turned nine, then he stopped talking about the dude completely. My parents divorced when I was about twelve and my mother and her new husband had two more sons. The older of these two boys M was about four he started talking about what he called the shadow man. The shadow man was neutral toward him. I'm now in my twenties and I've kept seeing them throughout my life. It's pretty infrequent now admittedly. When I see them there's still a great dread when they just drift into the walls without approaching me. I added a quick illustration to this email of the shadow that I saw the first time. It seemed to ooze pure evil. I hope this story helps someone out there realize they aren't alone. Since then I've come to terms with these experiences.